I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training, and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning, and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. This week on the show, Amy and I are just delighted to welcome one of our dear teachers, She's a yoga and meditation instructor, a licensed psychotherapist, a writer, a facilitator, and an entrepreneur. She's the founder of Yoga Psyche Soul, which is an innovative yoga psychology training program that Amy and I have both experienced. It's for teachers, clinicians, and dedicated students fusing yoga, depth psychology, mindfulness, and neuroscience. She's the creator of 10 best-selling yoga DVDs and the co-author of a Roma Yoga. We're so happy to welcome Ashley Turner. Happy belated birthday, Ashley. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. Did you do anything fun? Yes, it was so great. I just got back actually from a three-week trip. I was in Europe and Sweden and then with my family on the East Coast. And so I literally just got back to LA. One of my very dearest friends and teachers, Jara Tree, is here with me. So we were just hanging out and playing all day and got a massage and then went to a nice little dinner party with my friends. So it was super mellow, but super sweet and chill. Well, to continue our introduction of you, because Amy and I have both been your students, both in your live Yoga Psyche Soul modules and in the online version of that very rich training, we thought we would share with you um, part of what we've taken home with us and um, part of the richest parts for us. So For me, I was lucky enough to come and practice live, and I did module five, which is conscious relationships and sacred sexuality. And I really want to share the experience of practicing live with you, because here we are on our mats, and it's an individual practice. It's a time to go within, and it's a time when we come face-to-face with our inner landscape, our psyche. And because you're not only a teacher, but a psychotherapist, while you're offering these beautiful alignment notes, you're also chanting about tools for the psyche and education about the psyche. And I found that to be incredibly, incredibly powerful. And then number two, because of the content that you were sharing, I was able to take really accessible and beautiful practices home into my intimate relationship um, to create an even more sacred feeling um, in in that relationship. So I really thank you so much. Oh, I love that. I love that you really got actionable, you know, steps and tools, especially to use in your partnership and um, in your life. It's such an intention of mine that this is really practical and grounded for people. And Ashley, I had the privilege of taking Yoga Psyche Soul online. And what really resonated with me was your work around family of origin and really diving deep into your ancestry and patterns and behaviors of of your family members that came before you and relationships. And then I also really liked your work around shadow work and emotions. And I especially loved your practices around anger and moving anger through the body. I think we shy away from anger or the untasteful emotions and, or the distasteful emotions. And I really appreciated your breath of fire and the practice of taking that big foam bat and beating the pillows and yelling and screaming. And I just love that practice. I love that so much. The anger work is such a skeleton key. I think it really is something that so many people aren't used to doing and really purging our emotion out of our body. And when you understand the connection between the body, mind, the energetic body in particular, and that we can literally turn on the faucet and just flush it out and how important that is. I love that you got so much out of that. 
we want to start by taking you back to the beginning and start with a quote from somebody that I know you follow, and she lives here in Vancouver, actually, Danielle Laporte. And one of my favorite quotes from her is, who were you before the world told you who you had to be? So we were wondering, who were you as a little girl? Mm, I love that. I love Danielle so much. She's becoming a really good friend. And um, I, you know, I love, for me, I have my favorite picture of myself, I think that I've ever taken was my first grade picture, school picture. And I have that sitting on my altar. And, you know, I'm just beaming. I have this really sweet, bright smile. My eyes are sparkling. I'm just so lit up about the world and life. And so I put that on my altar and I look at it all the time as this remembrance of who I am and the essence of who I am and that bright sparkle of spirit. And I think it's so important that we find ways, I mean, essentially it's inner child work, that we find ways to connect to that inner child and really worship, truly worship that inner child. Because when you hang around kids, I just got back from being with my niece who's nine year old, nine years old and my nephew's five and another little baby niece. And you're around kids, you see that innocence and that beauty and that you're not trying to hurry them to figure out how to read or, you know, hopefully, you know, you're not shaming them for doing this or that. You're just recognizing their sweetness and their beauty and their exuberance about life. And so to remember that we always have that. And also kids have so much wonder and they're just in awe of the world and exploring it. And I think that we can constrict ourselves and get in the conditioned patterns as adults. And so it's really important to keep that aliveness and fresh perspective awake. But, you know, I grew up in an amazing, I had an amazing childhood. My parents both grew up on farms in central Illinois. I have this really incredible family lineage and uh, really loving, good people. And then my father was a lawyer. So we moved into the quote unquote city, so to speak. And, um, and I had a really idyllic childhood. I have two sisters. I actually have an identical twin sister, which is a really amazing gift in this lifetime and amazing karma. And um, we are definitely a tight family unit, our immediate family, but also our cousins and our aunts and uncles. So I feel really blessed to have come from there. And then I couldn't wait to get out of there. And I moved to California and I went to school at USC and I've been in LA ever since. But it was a really just impeccable childhood. I mean, you know, nothing's perfect, but my family is is just really so loving. All my childhood memories are just filled with love and play and happiness. So I'm really blessed in that way. I love the way you describe that. I am in Ohio, so I am in the Midwest. So I can relate to a lot of those, you know, the farm life. We, I didn't grow up on a farm, but we are surrounded by farms and yep. and those Midwestern values. And I think knowing what it's like to grow up here, then to have the courage to leave the Midwest, mm-hmm. go to California, leave your twin sister. I, mm-hmm. I know that that probably had to be very a huge act of courage for you to do that. Mm. I haven't never had someone really articulate that like that before. And I really appreciate that because it's true. I, you know, I think about when my, you know, going back even for my father's services and really none of my other, none of my other cousins. And then we have a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles went very far from their parents. You know, we have families, you know, and, couple other cities, but those kids stayed really close. And my sisters and I all scattered my, I have a sister in New York, a sister in San Francisco, and then I'm in LA. And so I really attribute that to both my parents, but really in particular, my father and the message that I got so clearly was, you know, basically you can do anything you want, just work hard, do your best and you can do anything you want. And he was really passionate about, us studying abroad when we went to college and always said, you know, you can go to college wherever you want, wherever you get in. And he had gone away to school. He had gone to Tulane in New Orleans. And so, and then he had studied abroad. And I think he really, that even though he came back and lived in the town near where he grew up, 
he knew the impact that that had on his worldview and his life and his vision. And so he really instilled that in us and travel and adventure were always a really big part of our childhood. And so I think we all were really excited for that. And I, and I don't know, I think it's definitely, I feel very blessed that for whatever reason, I sort of always had the courage to fly and to, and to be brave and to make brave choices and go away. And I remember when I was leaving high school, you know, I remember one of our good friends, their mother was just saying to my mom, like, how could you let your daughters go so far away? And I thought that was such a weird comment. Like, what do you mean let, you know? And so we were ready to fly. Um, but yeah, it's true. It, it wasn't easy. It definitely wasn't easy. And I went through a lot of challenge in college and finding my own identity. And it took me many, many years, really until I found yoga to reestablish that sense of self and um, really remember who I was because I had, I had such strong roots. And so I always had a deep internal confidence, but then going from being kind of green Midwestern and going to the big city, Los Angeles was such a different world. And it was not, it was not the easiest transition. That's for sure. You had so beautifully talked about the, the picture that you have of yourself when you were little and vivacious and how you really, that's your favorite picture of, you know, that you have who, as you grew up and you went to California, who did the world then tell you you had to be? Or who did you become because of how the world treated you? Well, it's an interesting question because I think what we're really talking about, you know, is that sense of self in yoga. We would call it the ahamkara, the ego sense of self, sort of our persona. And from zero to 18, you know, like I said, I was very secure. I was very confident. I was homecoming queen. I was super popular and athletic and everything was sort of success came very easily for me. And then when, as soon as I got to college, I had a really traumatic experience and I was rejected. I did the whole sorority thing and I was rejected basically from every sorority that I wanted to get into. And so I really didn't, I I couldn't understand it because my sense of self had been this you know, quote unquote, successful, like checking all the boxes. And then I, all of a sudden at 18, before school even started, the week before school even started my freshman year, it's like, nope, you're not that, you're not that, you're not that, you're not accepted, you're not popular, you're not, and I, and so it was all shattered. And I didn't really realize it at the time. I just knew I was really heartbroken and devastated. And I just thought, you know, I came from the big 10 schools. I just thought you go to school, you get in a sorority, you go to parties, a sorority fraternity, football, you know, you date guys like that. And, um, and that was not my, that was not meant to happen for me. And so I really spent for sure the four years at college having to do some deep inner work. I don't know that I was necessarily thoroughly doing deep inner work. I was certainly self-medicating with alcohol at that point. Um, to try to manage what my experience was. But interestingly, the one thing that really saved me was exercise. I just knew that if I could get to the gym and I worked out, and at that time, you know, it was like the late 90s and aerobics was so big. And so I was like, if I could just do my workout or run around the track, I know I feel better. So, and then I started teaching group classes. I started teaching aerobics. And looking back, it really set me up for teaching yoga. And it, it, I, build, I built all those skills in those years, but I had no idea. You know, that was a part of it. So I spent the whole time at college really in a crisis of self and not knowing who I was. I felt very alone, very isolated. I didn't ever really form a solid peer group in college. I mean, I had friends, but it wasn't like my tribe, you know, I never felt like I had like my tribe. And so I had, that's where I started, you know, the, one of the first books that I encountered on Eastern spirituality was the Tao Te Ching. And that really changed in college. That really changed my life. It really, it really started educating me on another way of thinking. And so that was also very instrumental But I remember walking around the quad at University of Southern California and literally thinking that 
people were looking at me like she was rejected. She's not going to like, nobody was thinking that, of course, everybody's too busy on their own thing. But I just really felt so outcast. And, you know, I tell the story, like, I remember looking, walking through campus, looking for a bush that was dense enough that I could go hide behind and cry because I didn't feel like I had any place to cry. I was in a dorm room. It was with someone else. You know, she thought my, you know, the whole sorority thing was bullshit and like, how could, what, who cares? And I was really sad. I was, I really felt rejected. And so it was not easy. And I remember feeling like I'm not thin enough. I'm not cool enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not stylish enough. I don't have enough money. You know, I really was kind of this Midwestern off the, you know, green off the bus. And then there's all these girls from, New York and Atlanta and San Francisco and LA and you know so it was that thing and it was a very interesting you know I was lucky that I didn't have that experience in high school so I at least had something else to compare it to but it took a long time for me to rebuild my sense of self and then I went into acting in Hollywood which is more of the same you know more rejection you need to do this you need to look like that you need to lose five pounds you know so it really wasn't until I found yoga. Luckily, I found it right after school. Um, but it took a few years for me to heal those deep wounds. And it's, you know, actually longer than that. I mean, the ripple effects were there. But yeah, it, it really has been um, a rebuilding process. So it, it was, I'm grateful for it because I, it, it, you know, it brings so much texture to the soul and so much compassion for people. And um, the depth and really forcing me to plug into something deeper than that, which is the spirituality and the essence of who I am. Ashley, I've heard you speak about that experience in college, and I've heard you refer to it as a sisterhood wound, really. And I so appreciated it when I did hear you talk openly about that, because it's something that really resonated and attracted me to you and your teaching. Mm -hmm. And so many of us women we share a sisterhood wound from our experiences in elementary or junior high and high school and college. Yeah. So I was wondering if that wound comes up from time to time, because, you know, we have these complexes and, and we can work towards integration, but it's never fully complete. So I'm wondering Mm -hmm. around if you do notice that wound come up in your female relationships. And if so, what are your best practices to deal with that? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I think, you know, I just want to highlight your point that I used to think erroneously that, you know, we can quote unquote heal and really get to the other side and it's fully integrated and we never get triggered again. And maybe that is true for some people. For me, I noticed that there are little tinges or layers that, you know, still are unfolding and that it does, you know, I can get triggered and it's not nearly to the same depth, right? But I can just notice now it's more my thought forms start to spin. And a great example, you know, just a few months ago, um, first of all, I would say, you know, what really healed it was the yoga community and the Kula. And once I found yoga and people were connecting and coming together around betterment and love and loving kindness and, you know, a soulful, spiritual uh, inquiry and dialogue and support of each other, that really started to heal it. And so that's one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about building our Kula with yoga psychology and, and, and anyone to feel welcome and to feel connected and held. And whether it's in the live training or the online training or retreats that we do, events that I have, for people to just feel seen and heard and and it's revolutionary. It's very, very healing for people. And so for me, holding that space is, is such an important part of my work on the planet because I think that when people feel a sense of belonging and they have the experience of being able to show up with all of their, you know, shit, with all their wounds, with all their fears and insecurities or maybe, you know, shadow pieces, you know, experiences that they've had that they never really talked about. When you can start to explore those things and realize that you're held in a safe space and in a loving space where people understand, you know, it's revolutionary and it really heals the spirit in so many ways. That's one of my passions in my work. And I certainly have found that I'd say most primarily through my peers and my colleagues in 
in the yoga world and in the self-help world, self-development world, you know, just so many sisters that so have your back. So I'm so blessed and so grateful for that. And it does still come up. You know, I started to tell the story a few months ago, I was at an event, a small gathering of some girls and there's sort of this pod of amazing female entrepreneurs. And for me, it comes up with particularly, I notice it around Instagram, like, oh, they have a hundred thousand followers. They have this, like, they all seem to be so close and, you know, I'm not quite in their inner circle. And I was at an, a small gathering. There was probably only like six or seven of us. And I could feel that coming up where I was like, oh, I still feel like I'm on the outside, even though I'm here and I was invited. And I still, I feel like I'm not good enough or I'm not thin enough or I'm not making as much money as they do. I have no idea how much money they're making, you know, but um, so the, all those voices came up and I could feel myself actually shutting down a little bit and getting a little small and getting a little fearful and insecure. And, um, and so I really was watching that. And I actually had to take myself into the other room and like go to the bathroom and look in the mirror and, and just, you know, first of all, acknowledge it and make it okay. Like, it's okay. You're feeling these things, you know, and then do the practices that bring you back to your center and yourself and remember who you are and, um, and notice the projections because so much of it is my own projection. Um, and, and really work on how am I showing up? Like, how can I contribute and be present? And, or even if it's not trying to jump in and like entertain or like get engaged in us in the, in the same way, just watching my energy in that field and watching my thought forms and staying true to myself so that, um, you know, that self inquiry is so important. And, you know, there's a lot of great practices that you can do even in the moment, you know, the breath is number one, just slow down the breath, breathe deeply, breathe into the heart, you know, take a moment, maybe place your hand on your heart, just feel that compassion. Um, in the yoga psyche soul training, I teach these good parent messages that are really helpful to memorize. And just bring you back to yourself that I'm providing that validation and love for myself and I don't need anyone else to do it and whether they do or they don't it's never about them it's really only ever about you and you your inner child and your highest self and how do you heal that connection where it's really about you and your higher power or your soul or your wisdom mind or however you want to say it so that you can tend to that inner child and really reach out your hand and, and let her know that I've got you. It's okay. I know, I, you know, like imagine if you had a little girl there and she was at a birthday party or something and she was feeling left out, how would you talk to her and what would you say? You know, and so kind of coming from that compassionate place. Both Lisa and I have adopted those practices for our own healing. I have a picture of myself when I was about four that sits on my mantle in my bedroom that I look at every day. And, and we've shared this with our listeners to offer them these practices to then be able to offer that love and kindness to ourselves. At, at, that That's the first person we see and promise to care for and yeah. to uphold. And, and I know Lisa has a very similar practice mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. It's when there's so many times where we can hear the inner critic being so unkind to ourselves now but when you look at that picture and you see just the innocence and same thing, Ashley, when you see just the audaciousness and the, the bright light mm -hmm. of that little girl, you know, she's still there. And so it's my responsibility to take care of her. It's so important. I, I really don't know that there's any more important work than the inner child work. And it's such a great opportunity when you're a parent or, you know, I've just spent a lot of time with my niece and nephew, my nieces turning nine and my nephew's four and a half and turning five. And to see that, like you said, the audaciousness, the brilliance, the, you know, the sweetness, the innocence, the bravery, like to really reflect on that. And so as you're a parent, you get the opportunity to witness that day in and day out with your child and remember that child is still in you. And, and really it's our greatest responsibility to respect that inner child and to tend to them and to take care of them 
like hopefully you would take care of your own child. And if they start, you know, getting really tired or they need food or they're feeling left out or they're afraid to do something, how do you talk to them and how do you care for them and how do you help teach them to come into their power and to just also just be who they are, you know, with no need to change anything. So, you know, how do we do that towards ourselves and really extend that sweetness? And it's just an endless journey. You know, I think it's so ironic. I was just watching a a short video on Instagram um, yesterday and a person that I follow was with Diane von Furstenberg, the designer. And, you know, she's been incredibly successful sort of mogul. And she had on like a t-shirt that it was some slogan about fear. And so this person was, was saying, Hey, what's that slogan about? And like, what would you say to people about dealing with their fear? And Diane von Furstenberg, who's, I don't know, she's probably 75 said, you know, I think it's just so important that people know that I wake up some days and feel like a loser. And the only people that don't feel only losers <laughs> never feel like a loser. Like it normalizes the situation. Only losers never feel like a loser that almost all of us, it's pretty much universal at some time or another, you know, feel insecure, feel self-doubt. Um, and that fear, that insecurity, it's okay. And so the, the, the only question that really matters is how do you deal with it? How do you, change your relationship to it. So I love hearing that when there's people that we think are so, you know, successful or we admire and then realizing, oh, they have their insecurities and fears too. And the difference is how do you choose to step through that and move through that? You've mentioned that your yoga practice was so instrumental in helping you to process what you've been working through throughout your life. We're interested in, you know, that moment on the yoga mat when you first began, when you knew that there was something special about this practice? Well, honestly, it was the first class I ever took. Well, technically the first class I ever took is a funny story. I was in Hawaii when I was 14. My family went on a vacation to Hawaii and we ended up at this resort. It was in Kauai. And I saw when we were checking in that they had yoga. And this was so long ago. And I have no idea if I'd ever even heard of yoga before or how I would have even known what it was. There certainly was no one doing yoga in Bloomington, Illinois. But for whatever reason, at that moment, I said, we're going to go to this class. Let's go to this class tomorrow morning. And I got my whole family to go to this yoga class. That was my first experience with yoga, which I think is so interesting because for some reason it resonated with me at such a young age and I didn't even know what it was. And then cut to um, right after college, one of my friends took me to Brian Kess Power Yoga. And that was really my first true experience of a yoga, full yoga practice. And I remember, you know, like I said, I had been doing a lot of, I always worked out and I had been teaching group classes. And so I was very physical and athletic, but I went to this class and it was like a two hour Brian Kess yoga class and so deep, such a hard vinyasa like strong vinyasa practice but so soulful you know brian focuses so much on the breath and and really reconditioning the mind and those practices and i literally walked out of there and we were crossing the street with a bright sunny day in southern california my friend said what did you think how did you like the yoga and all the only word i could even think of to try to describe what i was feeling was orgasmic. I was like, that was orgasmic. Like I am on cloud nine right now. I just don't even know what I'm experiencing. It's bliss. And so that from the start, I knew it was different. I was like, whoa, like what just happened? That's a whole other dimension of being. And now I understand a little more about the science and the power of breath on the nervous system and the endocrine system and how that can shape shift the thoughts in our minds and and move us hopefully even beyond thought at some point. So right from the start, it hooked me. And 
again, same kind of thing. All I knew was if I went to yoga, I would feel better. And so I was doing that pretty consistently for a couple of years. And then I remember it just started to reveal itself. Like I need to start teaching this. And I remember clear as day, I was in Earth's power yoga up in Hollywood. I remember being in this class and looking at the teacher and all of a sudden, like a lightning bolt, I was just like, if she can do this, I can do this. If they can teach this, I could teach this. And so it started to become a realization that I wanted to teach. And, you know, again, luckily I was wise enough, brave enough to keep following that, you know, follow your bliss kind of thing. So, um, Shortly after that, I started teaching and it was, it's just like Ram Dass says, you know, once you are on the path of spirit, you can never totally go back. You can try, um, but you're never going to totally fit back in that box once you've kind of tasted. So Ashley, you've been teaching for 18 years and you've become a psychotherapist. Can you talk to us about your reason why when it comes to the work that you do? Yeah, you know, it's become more clear over time. I think it's, it even, even I guess when I started teaching yoga, one of the pivotal thoughts that I had, because at the time I was acting, and although I love acting and I still am, you know, such a huge fan of that art form and theater and creativity in that way. As I was acting, I mean, first of all, it's not like I was getting a lot of roles. My opinion might be different if I had been booking a lot of jobs, but even in the craft of it, it just didn't feel for me that it was the best use of my Shakti, of my energy and intelligence and talents and skill set. I just felt like I want to give back more. I really felt like I want to be speaking, you know, my truth. I want to be helping people heal, basically. I don't know that I would have used that word at the time, but I want to be in service and I want to be in the greatest service that I can. And certainly for me, anytime I get, I come up against a a fear or an insecurity or some sort of block, whether it's internal or external, anytime I start to doubt myself, the number one tool that moves me forward is the why. Why am I doing this? I'm doing this to be in service. It's more important for me to put out this post and try to offer a bit of education or inspiration or just community. Then it's more important to do that and offer that to the world and people than to hold back out of fear. Like how dare I hold back if I have this impetus, if I have this creativity that wants to move through me, it's spirit. And I really look at my colleague, Sianna Sherman has taught me this phrase of being a vessel for spirit and really offering ourselves, body, mind, and spirit, our talents, our gifts in service, in service to spirit, in service to other people. How can we elevate life on this planet? And as long as you're in that, you are doing good work. Your work is so needed in the world. I mean, all we have to do is look around us and see, you know, the pain in the world, the challenge of being alive at this time, whether it's the environment or racism or healing traumas um, or just helping people, you know, become more confident and come into their power. There's never been a time where it's more needed and spirit needs you. Every one of you listeners, you know, a spirit needs every single one of us working full power to elevate life on this planet. And so if we connect to that why, it's not actually about us. It's not about if you have the perfect website or the perfect Instagram post or the perfect copywriting on your page or your email. It's more important that you just get out there being perfectly imperfect That's one of my favorite quotes from the Tao Te Ching is true perfection is imperfect. True straightness is crooked. True art is artless. And it's, it's really revolutionary to consider that, you know, so I always try to place the why and the being in service above everything else. And then it helps to motivate me. It helps to get me through any of those fears or doubts. 
And for me, in terms of moving from teaching yoga to psychotherapy, I could see what was happening on the mat. I felt that experience within myself. It was transforming my life and healing me from the inside out. And I wanted to understand why. I wanted to understand what was actually happening. How is it that I'm on a mat for an hour and a half and breathing and working hard in my body? And yet it's completely healing my psyche and it's transforming my thought forms, my personality structure. How is that possible? And so that's when I wanted to understand more of the architecture of the psyche and the unconscious also from a Western perspective, and then really dedicating my work to this weaving of that. So it's been an amazing journey. I just feel so blessed. One of the reasons that you are one of my teachers is because I observe you putting yourself out there, just as you said, and stepping into your power. And like you mentioned as well, when we see somebody else doing that and showing up as who they're meant to be, it's very inspiring and it shows us what's possible. And that's definitely been part of your role in my journey. Even when I was at that live uh, module, that's kind of a triggering place for me just based on my own sisterhood wound, being in a, a group of women. But that was so incredibly healing. And I didn't even anticipate that. But I've been different since that time in Venice Beach a, a couple of years ago. Honestly, I've been different. My teaching's been different. You chanted something around you know, this time of life. I know it was just your birthday, as we mentioned. Um, I'm 47 now. And I can feel myself stepping into this nothing to prove, nothing to hide that that we talked about when we were all practicing together. And that just resonated with me so deeply. But I think that is the path that so many of us are on, wanting to step into our power and not become small and not hide. And it requires an inner trust and learning how to listen to the true voice within. And that must have been a process for you to get where you are now, putting yourself out there with ease, it seems like. And so how have you come to the place of trusting that part of yourself? You know, it's it's been a process. I think I have been, I do think I was blessed from, I guess maybe from birth, you know, I've always been somewhat bold and had that inner confidence and um, followed my own path, even when it's unconventional, certainly very unconventional, even, you know, as you said, Amy, to go all the way across country to school and then to not choose, you know, sort of a corporate job, but to go into these very unconventional paths. And luckily I had a family and parents that were very supportive of that. They never questioned my choices. They helped guide me and ask important questions, but they never, tried to steer me in any other way than my own authentic path. And that's a huge gift. And many people don't get that kind of support from their family. So I do think I was blessed with that. I do think it's very important, hugely important, maybe, you know, along with your own spiritual practice and inner work, I would say probably the next most important factor is who you surround yourself with. And surrounding myself with people that were also doing that, that were bold, that were living their truth, that were bucking the system or asking different questions. And I've always surrounded myself with friends and peers like that. And so that's very important because it helps your mindset. It helps keep you in that bigger picture. And there's certainly, again, I want to normalize the fear. I mean, every single time I do something new and different, I have massive fear around it. Every time I do a photo shoot, I think about, I can cancel it. I cannot do this. I start to get anxiety. You know, um, Every time, you know, when I did my first yoga DVD or when I launched my course, I mean, forget about it. When I launched Yoga Psyche Soul, I was so nervous. I was like, who am I to do this? You know, but then the question is, who are you not to do that? If you have that seed of creativity and that impetus and inspiration planted inside of you, that is spirit. That is the voice of spirit. If you feel called to start a podcast, that is spirit whispering in your ear. You know, if you feel called, um, you know, I'm going to work on, I'm working on a new audio course with Sounds True or my new website that's coming out, or I'm for the first time launching a one day 
business mastermind here in Los Angeles, mastermind for yoga and wellness entrepreneurs, because I think it's so important to help train particularly wellness professionals, but in particular yoga um, teachers on how to build a successful business because nobody's talking about the business. Well, a lot more people are now in the online world, but really getting into the nuts and bolts of what it takes to build a successful financial, um, you know, successful business and financial security. So, you know, I'm having a lot of fear around that and insecurity. Like, who am I to do that? I'm not a business coach. I'm not a, you know, but it's like, no, you have your own life experience. And one thing I say a lot in the yoga psyche soul training is your karma is your dharma. You know, the things that have happened to you, the soul contracts, the soul lessons that you've been handed in this lifetime, whether it's betrayal or rejection or financial struggle or perhaps an illness, simply because they have you have that experience, it's giving you an authority. It's an indication of where your dharma is that you can go back and serve that population because you're speaking from experience and you've learned those new skill sets or awareness and understanding. So that's really helpful too. I think, again, to plug into source, to plug into spirit, to trust your trust that it's not even actually your voice. It's the voice of spirit and opening yourself as a vessel for spirit. And so one simple thing that I do that I think is really important and helpful before I start any class or webinar or you know, even podcasts like this kind of interview or write an email. Um, I'll sit down and just simply now, if I'm in a live training, I'll often do it out loud because I feel confident enough now after 20 years of teaching that I can actually do it out loud. And I don't, if it doesn't resonate with people or they get freaked out, I don't care. You know, most people don't now because if they're coming to me in the first place, they know, you know, what they're seeking, but you know, to really start by saying, I open myself as a vessel, you know, and may spirit speak through me and move through me and the words that come through me, the movements, whatever happens in the next hour and a half, may it be in service to the highest good of all. Everyone here may come through in a way that we all can understand and, and, you know, receive. And so then again, it just takes the onus off of you. And it's like, you're being a vessel. What is most needed? And that's where you get into the and this is a very important business practice of listening to what people need and focusing on your students or your clients or whoever's in front of you and really asking, what do you need? How can I be in service? And that's what informs your work. That's what informs what comes out, that you're addressing those things that people need and you're simply offering yourself as a vessel for spirit and service. So powerful, Ashley, that idea of it's not about us. It's about spirit being of service. I think that lesson is, I'm constantly revisiting that lesson. And that's a lesson I learned from you. When, when I have fears about getting up in front of a class or putting something online or opening a business, reminding myself that it has nothing to do with me mm-hmm. or how quote unquote good I am, that I am just a vessel. And that was a very powerful lesson that I learned from you. And I want to thank you for that. I love that. I'm so happy to hear that. And, you know, it just makes me, you know, it's honestly become one of my biggest intentions and sankalpas and goals is to help people plug into that so that they're living more, you know, boldly, bigger, and and just sharing their gifts more freely because it's so needed. And it's not to say that, of course, we're refining our skill set and our talents and we're working on always you know, getting better and, and um, being more skillful. But at the, in the end of the day, it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, it's, uh, I mean, literally I was just on the phone with my own coach yesterday and she was saying that to me, you know, like, because I still go through those insecurities and I will kind of get backed up and she's like, Hey, you know, people like it's perfectly imperfect. And I, I also think honestly, in the, there's a couple other pieces of it. Number one is to really, I was, I watched another little video on Instagram yesterday of um, tuning into our mortality, you know, that life is so short and it's so fleeting. And I mean, how long, and, and this was something that really got me in my early twenties because 
I spent so much time in that decade in my 20s and my late teens, you know, being obsessed with body image and never feeling good enough and always feeling like I needed to lose 10 pounds. And at one point I just was like, how long are you going to sit here and imagine how much time and energy you've wasted on this complete neuroses and concern and where you could have repurposed that energy over the last like literally eight, 10 years. <laughs> you know, if you had placed that energy in your creative projects, your professional life, and just refocus that energy, what could you create? And then also it becomes that your talents and skills and service are so much bigger and more important than those fears and insecurities. Like, is that really more important than you losing 10 pounds? Yes, it's more important that you get out there and share, you know, do it anyway, like feel the fear and do it anyway. It's okay. Mm -hmm. um, but it's very, very important. And then, as I said, you know, thinking about our mortality, you know, it could go to any day. I mean, we just saw this with a great leader, Matias Rati, who just passed away and so many blessings to her and her incredible legacy and such a leader and a visionary in the world of yoga. And she passed away at 56. You know, we couldn't find someone more healthy, more vibrant, you know, total yogi, vegetarian. I mean, checking every box. And yet we never know, you know, this gift of life could go away at any moment. And so now is the time. Now is the time. There is no other time. And so important to keep reflecting on that and really contemplating and meditating on our mortality because it's real. It is. It is real. And such a, like you said, such a shocking loss overnight and such a lesson for the rest of us that you could do all the right things, quote unquote, all the right things and yeah. still in an instant be gone. Yeah, exactly. And we take it for granted. You know, we really do. And we also take for granted our teachers that they're going to be around and, oh, I'll just go study with them next year. I'll just do it then. Well, you know, I heard Rod Stryker say they were talking about a retreat to India that they were doing. And he said, you know, just want to put this out there. Like, you never know how long we're going to be around. And I really like that hit home for me. I was like, it's true. You know, mm -hmm. now's the time. Like if there's someone you want to study with or someplace that you want to go, try, you know, make it happen. Now's the time. Ashley, we follow you on all your platforms because mm -hmm. you are our teacher and we have been witness to this life that you have that seems so full and beautiful and it's it just seems like this moment you're here and then the next moment you're in some far away <laughs> and you teach all over the world and it just seems like this big full beautiful life do you ever struggle with doing too much or do you ever struggle with burnout and if so could you share with our listeners maybe some of the practices that you use to bring that back to center such a great question thank you well I first of all I'm so honored I'm just have to say I'm really humbled and honored to be here with you both and thank you for that thank you for those words it really means so much to me mm, um, thank you. yeah I'm so grateful uh, you know, I do, I'm so grateful for this life. It's definitely very adventurous and I love to travel and I love to, you know, constantly be seeking. And, um, I actually have really, and this is something it's interesting. It's something that I am really becoming so passionate about in helping again, particularly yoga teachers, but wellness entrepreneurs to simplify and niche down. And it's funny because I was just talking to my, I just hired a new bookkeeping team and they are amazing. And we're about to up-level the whole scene. And, you know, I had this two hour meeting with them yesterday and he was saying that they were just schooling me on so many things about the financials of my business and percentages of, you know, profit and where we should be allocating it. And, you know, the thing that he said was the entrepreneurs that we see that really flourish, that are killing it, are entrepreneurs that have only one or two products and that's it. And that is something that I put in place 
about five years ago, I started to completely revolutionize my business. And at the time I was traveling all around and teaching workshops, you know, at least like once a month in a different state or maybe around the world and had all these different things going on. And then my private practice was psychotherapy. And I started to realize that I couldn't scale that number one. And And it was so much focus on so many different things. So imagine, you know, you're trying to promote your workshop in New York and you're trying to promote your workshop next month in San Francisco and your audience gets tired. You know, it's very, um, it's confusing for them. It's, it's a, it's, you know, your energy is very dispersed. And so I got clear on that and I, I started to focus in and then, you know, by a gift of God, I got my launch manager, Destiny Berman, who came to my life and she helped me get focused on launching this course. And she really pushed me. I didn't feel like I was ready. I wasn't yet licensed as a psychotherapist. And she's like, it doesn't matter. You're launching your yoga psyche soul. You're launching yoga psychology. Like, let's do it. And so since then I have simplified my business to an extraordinary amount. And really the only thing that I do now is yoga psyche soul. I have both the online and the live training and everything else funnels into that. And so it became now I also at the same time had launched my urban priestess mystery school, which was amazing. I did that with Sianna Sherman, also an online course. And we did a couple of live pilgrimages together. And I realized in those first couple of years, even that was too much, even though it was only two programs, Yoga Psyche Soul and Urban Priestess, it basically was like running two different companies. And it was really too much for me. I wasn't doing either one of them extremely well. They were good. They were good. They were super solid. But in order for you know it to really fly and flourish, I needed to simplify even more. And so then we let go of Urban Priestess and we're no longer doing that online course. And I could feel, and this has just been in the last year, all of that Shakti has pulled over to Yoga Psyche Soul. And it's, it's you know, we've had the two biggest launches we've ever had. It's amazing. I finally have the time and focus to really get into the details and the nitty gritty of where we need to improve and what we need to work on. And um, so that's really important, I think, to simplify your business, number one. And for those of you that are entrepreneurs that are listening, really narrow it down to one, maybe two, but I would encourage you to stick with just one product. And then once you have that product really solid, you can build, you know, a, a, you know, another product that's a little less expensive and another product that's a little more expensive. Like that's a good way to set up your business. And then in terms of burnout, I really noticed that my creativity and my drive ebbs and flows. And it took me a while to realize that. And I, I used to beat myself up like, oh, I, you know, you got to keep going and like do the next thing. And, and then probably about 10 years ago, I started to really recognize that there would be a surge of creativity. And I might have a couple months where I was going really strong and putting out a lot. And then there would be a month or a few weeks or so that I would just retreat and draw back in and this ebb and flow. And it definitely is seasonal. I definitely notice in the winter time, I'm a little more quiet and internal, typically late spring and summer. I, there's a lot of output for a few years there. I was doing my, I was filming my yoga DVDs and they would always be in, in the summer. And so I'd be in pre-production for those in the spring and then in the summer. And that's when I really started to notice this rhythm. And so now I can give myself permission. I have that, you know, perspective of giving myself permission. For example, the last couple months, I did have the live training. Um, We did our launch for online in April. And then I had, you know, I had done another launch for B-School in like February. And then March, April, we did the online training, you know, so that was a big surge of three months. And then in May, I had the live training. But pretty much all of June and until now for the last six weeks, I've been on hiatus. You know, I've barely been doing anything. And I mean, literally, I haven't even been opening my computer. So, you know, I do recognize that there are times where I just need to retreat and draw back in. And luckily now I have a team that's helping keep things afloat, you know, and they're able to do the tasks of the business. And then my deeper creative, you know, 
surges come at different times. So for me, it's like that. It's very rhythmic. It's very ebb and flow. And that feels good to me. In terms of, uh, you know, the burnout, I do think it's really important. I think self-care is, it's just, it's crucial. It's essential. And I think getting to know your creative style and your creative rhythm and trusting that, you know, really respecting your own constitution because everybody has different constitutions. That's a really important thing. And I think that's such an illuminating aspect of the yoga practice of knowing your doshas, knowing how your body mind is set up and aligning your life and your business with that and and working with the rhythms that you have. I love how you're giving permission for the ebbing and flowing, how sometimes we can be really productive and maybe others not so much and we don't have to force ourselves. Yeah, it's, it's so important. And it really did take me, you know, probably 15 years to understand that because I tried to, our culture is very much set up, of course, in this more patriarchal, like, continual productivity and we value that but in truth all of us men and women you know we ebb and flow and so that's actually how we become even more productive is when you prune that plant you know it flourishes even more so it's very important to go into those moments of retreat um, and less quote-unquote outer productivity and trust that it's happening under the surface you know the inside you know underground in the unconscious, that's where you're fertilizing that soil when you go into those more fecund voids. Mm-hmm. Ashley, I want to be conscious of your time here. We have just a couple more questions or we can wrap up and talk about how people can find you. Um, how much longer do you have? Oh, no, we can go ahead. Definitely. Okay. Well, um, I was curious because you have been public about how happy you are in your love relationship right now. And you've shared that you met online. And I love that you shared that because it offers hope to others. Um, would you share more with us about that process and when you knew you had met someone special? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I don't actually post that much about Aaron, but um, he's kind of getting on, he, he's kind of getting on board a little bit. But I do actually think it's important because I... You know, it took me a long time to find, I was in a great relationship before I was in a relationship for five years with an incredible man. And that was amazing. Um, and then we had, but you know, I spent a lot of time in my thirties single and really yearning for partnership. So I know that experience. I know that experience of dating. I kind of was in that phase before online dating was such a big thing. But then when I broke up with my last boyfriend, I was coming, he lived in Aspen. And so I was coming back to LA, moving back to LA. And I I knew that I really wanted to find someone. I was so clear on what I wanted. And so I was ready in a short period of time to, to go out there again and start seeking that. And so I decided to go online. I had been online before, you know, once or like literally been on like maybe three dates with different people online, but that was it. So I didn't have a lot of experience dating online. I think it's really important to elevate the conversation to the spiritual nature, you know, to really ask different questions and to really trust that your path is guided and you are supported by spirit, your spirit guides, guardian angels, like whatever works for you. Maybe it's just your own highest self that you really are supported. And it's energetic. And so you're drawing, you're magnetizing towards you an equal partner, a person that is reflecting where you are in your life. So when I decided to go back online, I thought, okay, I'm going to write my profile as a letter to the universe. I'm going to write it so crystal clear that I'm talking to God, I'm talking to spirit, and I'm going to say exactly what it is that I want, basically like a manifesting letter, you know, like this is what I'm seeking. And I was really bold with it. I even was like surprising myself, but I thought, you know, the truth is if someone doesn't resonate with these words, we're not a match. I mean, that's just truth. And there's so many millions of people online. Like I want to meet the one person that resonates with this. So, so first of all, I chose, I chose a platform that was more in depth. So I, I haven't even really been on Tinder or Bumble, but I think that you just see like a short, like a picture and a couple words. But OkCupid was like, you could fill out all these different questions and really get a sense of who this person was. 
And so I chose that platform because I wanted, I figured, you know, if someone's not willing to put in the effort to really go on and write (laughs) a profile, then they're probably not that serious about, you know, or they're not, I I just wanted someone that was making that kind of an effort investment. So I was on OkCupid number one and I filled out all the questions and I really wrote it like to the point of, if you don't see relationship as a vehicle for consciousness or understand what I mean by that, we're not a match. You know, if you don't want to have a child in the next couple of years and probably get married, we're not a match. You know, like that's how direct I was on this. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because Aaron said that he saw my profile and he was blown away and he actually went back and edited. He was like, Oh shit, I got to up level my, my profile here. Like this girl's not fucking around. you know." <laughs> and so he went back and edited his and added a few things in. And then he reached out to me, which I think is hilarious. And so it was, a, you know, we were really resonant and literally on the third date, he was like, we hadn't even kissed or anything. I mean, I was very drawn to him and, it turns out we had a mutual friend. And so that helped. That helped kind of quicken the process because it, there was a level of, you know, account like accountability association. But then on our third date, he was like, that's it. We're let's do this. Like we're in this. I think we came together to do this. And I was like, Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, but it's not without its challenges. I mean, we had, you know, we broke up a couple of times. We had some ups and downs and, um, but we, we were really on a journey from the very beginning together. And, mm-hmm. and I will say in terms of online dating, I kind of came up with a formula that was working for me, which was, I didn't really go on that many dates. I had dated someone else before I met him. I also had met another guy online and, and we dated, he was amazing for a couple months. Um, so it really was working. I was like, okay, this is, there's amazing men on here. I mean, I, I just straight up figured like, if I'm on here, there's gotta be amazing men on here <laughs> because I'm amazing. So there's amazing men on there. And how else are you going to meet people, you know, and get out of your circle. And um, anyway, but I, I would filter through, I mean, I weeded out, like if they didn't have an in-depth profile, if I didn't see and feel, I also was really tuning into how I felt when I was looking at these profiles and what they were, evoking, right? Whether it's the pictures or the words. And so that was really important because there's some people that are like, oh, they just clearly want to have sex and they're, yeah, they're hot, but that's not really what I'm going for. So I'm not going to, you know, reach out to that. Or, you know, if they didn't have a depth, a spirituality, if they hadn't clearly done some inner work, it was not going to be a match. They weren't athletic and adventurous. You know, it just, I wasn't going to compromise those things. So I think you just have to know your non-negotiables and be willing to just keep, you know, not responding or, or, you know, just not feel any pressure to try to connect with someone. And it might take weeks. I mean, there were times where I was on OKCupid, but I'm like, oh my God, this is so depressing. There's like 98% of these people I, I don't even want to go on a date with, you know? And then, but then there are a few. And so you can be selective, you know? I mean, it's important, but I do think that you showing up in your authenticity, that's the most important thing and being radically authentic because that's, I can tell you for sure, that's exactly what drew Aaron to me. And, um, and so we were able, and I think also, you know, great person to study is Alison Armstrong. She has incredible work on understanding men and celebrating women and really understanding differences and not that it's you know necessarily a heterosexual relationship but just really getting to the roots of how you show up particularly in the dating life and she says from the beginning know what you want know what your end goal is so for me it was hopefully marriage and a family and that's what I'm creating and so if they're not creating that right now it's not a match it's just as simple as that they could be the most amazing guy in all the other ways you could be a match but if they don't want the same thing you do you're just not a match that's by default so that's really important know your non-negotiables know your end goal and then um show up really authentically so ashley thank you so much this has been such an honor to have you on our podcast and to be able to share you with our listeners if our listeners want to learn more about you or learn from you, how can they find you and work with you? 
Oh, well, first of all, it's been such an honor. I'm so grateful. I'm so humbled to be here with you both are doing such incredible work in the world. And thank you so much for having me and sending so much love to everyone listening. I would love to connect. Um, you can go to my website. It's ashleyturner.co, ashleyturner.co. Definitely um, consider getting on the email list because I do a lot of free master classes, um, at least one a month. I'll do a free master class so you can get on those. We have a great um, Facebook group, actually two Facebook groups. One is Yoga for Mental Health and one is Successful Yoga and Well wellness entrepreneurs. So we have one for sort of the business aspect, growing your business as a soulful entrepreneur, and then another one, yoga for mental health. And I'm in there every single week and we have really rich communities going there. Um, and then practicing online, obviously I have my yoga psyche soul training, which is a six month training. Um, each module, it's very specific. We have foundations of yoga psychology and shadow work. That's as we mentioned earlier, a lot of the inner work and family of origin work. The second module is the chakras. The third is a meditation mindfulness teacher training. Um, and then the fourth is uh, all about the voice, bhakti yoga, mantra yoga. If coming into your voice, expressing yourself is any challenge for you, this is a great one. It's also about ritual and connecting to the heart, heart healing. The fifth module, as Lisa mentioned, is the conscious relationships and sacred sexuality. And then the fi final one is a business and leadership module. Those are all you can do as an online program, or you can come and do the individual modules live in Venice. So we have those two modules coming up in September, two in November, but all of it's on um, ashleyturner.co. And then also, if you want to just take some classes, I would recommend Gaia. Gaia has a lot of my classes. Um, they are great and they have also a ton of other amazing teachers. So you get a lot of bang for your buck there. And there's hundreds, if not thousands of classes on there, I'm sure. So um, yeah, those are the best ways. And then I have coming up a um, event in Venice. I'm doing the Mastermind Day in LA. That's August 24th and all kinds of stuff all the time. So keep in touch. Hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, DM me, send me a message so I can get to know you all for sure. Or if you have any questions. Oh, thank you so much. And actually your classes on Gaia, which was back in the day, My Yoga Online, that's how I first, uh, that's how I first found you like 10 years ago. I love that. I didn't know that. That's so cool. I haven't mentioned that to you. Well, again, from the bottom of both of our hearts. Thank you for this time, Ashley. I'm so grateful. You guys are amazing. So much love to all of you listening. Be bold, live your truth, love yourself, be gentle with yourself. And um, thank you guys so much. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.